how Aunt Jean's memories became mine. My fists were clenched so tight, my nails were cutting into my palms. I didn't know if it was to steal myself, to prevent myself from turning and running, from fear or from some other as yet unfathomed reason. I couldn't think. I was just watching and absorbing. Incredible visions, unbelievable sights, grabbing my attention from moment to moment. The dogs! Too many, too mangy, too snarly, too nervous-making. They roamed freely in great big gangs and seemed to follow no law but their own. No chance that they'd been inoculated, no. Certainly no chance of that. There were lean and mongrelly cats too, slinking their sinuous bodies around and about the street impedimenta. They looked oily and odious, and the dogs looked ferocious and menacing, and fears of rabies and toxoplasmosis gripped me. The solitary street cleaner with his awful handcart swept up the garbage with a broom and large dustpan. I couldn't bear that he wasn't even wearing gloves or a mask while tackling all that putrefaction. He diligently scraped and cleaned and stowed away stuff. But still there was so much more. Would he ever finish cleaning just this one street? It was like watching a modern-day Prometheus face his ever-renewing torment. Surely by the time he had finished only half his day's assignment, it would start piling up again behind him. What had he reached too ambitiously for to be thus doomed? Horrors! Young women like myself, but much more smartly dressed than my old jeans, tee and sneakers, hopped elegantly on the backs of motorbikes ridden by less smartly dressed men and whizzed off not wasting even a passing glance on me. Occasionally, two of them would tick-tock crisply up the street and climb into an auto rickshaw. Those noisy and frightening yellow and black three-wheelers that careened crazily through the wild streets of this teeming city. My aunt must once have been of the ranks of these women, a secretary in a good professional firm, where her English skills made her a valued employee. The barracks of red brick buildings were past any former glory they might once have had. They still stood after all these years, but that was almost the only positive thing that could be said about them. Plants grew out of the cracks, exteriors were crumbling, interiors were painted any old colour anybody wanted, and the balconies facing the street were variegated, to put it politely. Stacks of clothes hung to dry in dense rows. It was certainly eco-friendly, no energy-guzzling dryers, but visually, ugh! And how many people lived behind each of those balconies to produce so much washing? The mind boggled. Though it was still fairly early in the day, the fierce heat was a mortal agony. Coming from a country that was icy cold for six months of the year, my body simply couldn't make sense of this wildly rising and still rising mercury. 
It took all my energy simply to stand idly in the shade. But to face the heat and engage my brain simultaneously, I just couldn't do that. My mind was whirling and churning with all the sights and sounds and my own thoughts and fears. Aunt Jean had had such happy, nostalgic memories of home that I'd been determined to come back for her sake and refresh her memories for her at second hand. How was I ever going to face her with this appalling mess? How could I trash all her memories and all her happiness by telling her how sadly everything had degraded? Dear God, what was I to do? I was almost in tears at my predicament. How much could I even make up? There was not one redeeming feature that I could focus on. I must have been standing there for ages, looking, listening and smelling. Sweet mother of God, smelling the smells. I was too zapped to react. My frozen funk was interrupted by a fat, sweaty man wearing a singlet and shorts and smelling of stale curry. I know I'm sounding atrociously superior and first world. I know this country is in a mad race for development and it has masses and masses of people, more at the local bus stop than in my whole city back home it sometimes seems. They are chaotic and indisciplined and poor beyond my understanding. Everyone's on a frenetic charge to scrape together a day's living somehow and niceties get tossed in the waste basket. It's push, shove and jostle to get ahead. And who am I in my protected cocoon to judge? But Aunt Jean had painted such a beautiful picture of the barracks. A 50-year-old picture, yes, but so filled with joyful memories of friendship and camaraderie and music and dancing and a warm and vibrant community life that I'd expected this one corner of the country to be different. But it wasn't. It so appallingly wasn't. And that had thrown me ass over tea kettle. I was struggling to keep my head above water. Miss, said the fat man, you seem lost. Can I help you? He was politely formal, but his voice had the sweet lilt that always came back to Aunt Jean's voice when she talked of home. And it made him, instinctively, a friend. Yes, I said, he could. How kind of him to offer. And I blurted out my whole story. I'd been born in Canada, but a dear friend of the family had emigrated from here. And I'd grown up listening to her nostalgic memories of home. And since I loved her so, I'd included the city in my see-the-world-on-a-shoestring travels. And I'd hoped to take back some glorious updates of friends and neighbours. You come away in den, my girl, he insisted, and let's see if my wife or old mum can help you. I'm not the one for this sort of thing. Come, my girl. I shouldn't have. I know I shouldn't have. Who knew if there was any wife or old mum at all, or if it was just a ploy to get me into his house. I know, I know, I know. But he seemed totally genuine, chivalrous, almost courtly. And there was that familiar lilt in his accent for all his utterly disgraceful flip-flops and the grungy singlet. 
So I thanked him for his kindness and followed him like a lamb up to an apartment on the first floor. Perhaps the doorbell wasn't working, but he just thumped on the door and shouted, Oi! And I heard a woman's voice inside replying, I'm coming, I'm coming. So there was some female at least. Phew! After that, the rest of the day just went wild. Sally, the wife, and Susan, the mother, took me under their wing. Susan remembered Aunt Jean and was delighted to see my photos of her. They let me take photos of them to send back home. Despite my protests of already having had my breakfast, they fed me fit to burst and meanwhile phoned up the whole street, it seemed. And in a short while, dozens of old people were shuffling towards this place or being driven here. And the four of us went down in the street too. Motley chairs were pulled out from every house. And a party started, out of nowhere. I thought our family get-togethers back in Canada were crazy. But I didn't know crazy till that day in the barracks. Many of the older people remembered Aunt Jean and her family her mad brothers and their street brawls over their darn old bikes that they were always tinkering with. She told me about them so often and here I was listening to others describing it. One old man admitted he'd had a yen for her and he got smartly wrapped for that. But he said he'd only confessed because his own dear wife had passed on and it was a hundred years ago and no one minded anymore. Anyway, Jeannie as they all called her, had been too good for the likes of him. She'd always been destined for bigger things. They all wanted to see pictures of her and my phone got passed around till I was almost worried it wouldn't come back. But there was never any real danger of that. They were just so excited and buzzing with nostalgic energy. I recounted some of the old stories Aunt Jean had told me and they brought back a rush of memories for this lot. And they were all eager to tell their stories and happy to have me record them on my phone. I took down everybody's name and phone number and promised to share all the recordings. The hours passed swiftly with everyone so excited. Someone mentioned lunch. And I looked at my watch and was shocked to see it was after two. There was a tussle about where I should eat lunch with me so embarrassed to be so much in demand. Anywhere except Sally's was the general consensus since she'd already had her chance. I decided to set up a video call with Aunt Jean. But it could only be at night given the time difference and this lot wasn't letting go of me in the meantime. Before I knew it, They'd called kids and relatives living away from the barracks and told them, Jeannie Braganza's little niece has come from Canada. And yeah, could you believe it? And she wants stories from the old days. So tell your ma and da to remember what they can and come around this evening and bring a bottle and join the potluck for sure, okay? The next two days and nights, I shouldn't forget the nights, became a never-ending party. I needed to keep topping up my phone battery because I was doing so many recordings. I became a daughter to every house on the street and I was living Aunt Jean's fantastic life of memory all over again. 
The transcontinental video calls were a great hit. The friends all clamored to have a natter, and the screen wasn't big enough to squeeze them all in. And the street rang with their yowls of laughter, and all were teary-eyed with joy and nostalgia. Aunt Jean, all by herself at home, was almost dead from the excitement and exhaustion. It's a good thing I could hook up to someone's Wi-Fi, or even a king's ransom wouldn't have been enough to pay my phone bill. Someone wired up something, and music boomed in the street, and there was dancing and singing and feasting for all the men and women, young and old, boys and girls. It was like carnival time in Rio. The mangy dogs and the slinky cats made themselves scarce, and it wasn't till much later that I even thought about that poor street cleaner and the loads of extra work I'd unwittingly created for him by landing up there. Once I'd met Uncle George, earlier described as a fat, sweaty man wearing a singlet and shorts and smelling of stale curry. After that, the whole world turned on its head there in the barracks. Nothing looked tawdry anymore. Nothing smelt bad anymore. I was surrounded by overpouring love and laughter and tears too. I was plied with more food than I could cram down in a month of Sundays. Every curry, every pickle, every cake or biscuit my aunt could possibly have eaten, I was made to eat them in her name. And I was in gastronomical heaven and hell at the same time. My tongue was on fire, but so was my heart. I had so much to catch up on. All Aunt Jean's life for the locals and all their lives for her. There wasn't time and world enough and it was just lovely, lovely, lovely. I scrambled back to my hotel room to sort and pack and run as hard as I could to the airport. And I don't think even the Queen of England has ever had as large and enthusiastic an entourage to see her off. The whole barracks turned out and the noise level was something appalling. And all the older ladies and gents were escorted by their tripod sticks and lightweight walkers and family minders so they could get through the thrilling adventure without mishap. You come back soon, my girl. And give Jeannie my special love, don't you forget now. And let me know beforehand next time. And I'll have lots of my rose cookies ready for you, my child. And many other calls along the same lines still rang in my ears. And now I'm sitting here on the plane and tapping out my fantastic memories of the last few maniacal days and consigning them to the safety of my trusty little tablet before I lose even the least little smidgen of them. They've brought me tissues. Twice, because my eyes keep overflowing with all the love and warmth with which I was included into that tight little circle for those few too swiftly gone days. I do understand Aunt Jean's happy memories now, and I reverberate with them myself. And I know I was too damn picky that first moment. And isn't it strange? that I never saw any of all that bad stuff once I met all the wonderful, wonderful people. <laughs>